Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Solange Charas and Stella Lupishore about the work of the future and the trends, the art, and the practice of transitioning to a reimagined workplace. Solange Charas and Stella Lupishore, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you both. You're joining us from the New Jersey, New York area. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about your recent book, about the work of the future and trends, the art and the practice of transitioning to a reimagined workplace. And I think this is such an important topic. It's one that I spend a lot of my time and energy uh, on and in, in this space as well. So I think this will just be a really fun conversation. As we get started, I wanted to share my guest bios with everybody. Solange Charas is the founder and CEO of HC Moneyball, an adjunct professor and a governance researcher and thought leader. Her SaaS product, HC Metrics, delivers capabilities for subscribers to quantify the material impact of human capital on corporate performance and understand the effectiveness of human capital programs in generating HCROI. She is an expert in the area of human capital disclosures required at a variety of SDG governance frameworks, the SEC and the ISO. And she has served on public boards and has held the chairperson role for audit and compensation committees. She has also served on private for-profit, nonprofit, and higher education boards. Stella Lupishar is a thought leader, speaker, educator, and futurist on a mission to humanize the workplace through the use of design thinking, technology, analytics, and future thinking to create inclusive workplaces. She is the co-author of Humanizing Human Capital, Invest in Your People for Optimal Business Returns, and Humans at Work, the Art and Practice of Creating the Hybrid Workplace. A pleasure to have you both with me today. Anything else either or both of you would like to share with me and my audience by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in? I think that the the conversation is going to probably shed more light on how we think and how we uh, operate. Perfect, perfect. So why don't we start uh, with a little bit of a, a background to to your recent book. Tell us about kind of the how and the why behind it. You know, why this book? Why now? Why did you feel like it was important um, to share? And then we can start to dig in and, and uh, pull apart, you know, some of the key uh, elements that you focus on in your book. 
Stella and I were introduced by a mutual acquaintance who saw something that in each of us that would resonate with the other. And he was absolutely right. Um, when we met, it was, for me, it was finding a different, another sister from a different mother. Um, and we, as Stella would say, we were finishing each other's sentences, even in that first meeting. And um, my focus uh, is on data analytics and the use of data to inform decisions. And Stella's interest was on the future of work. And we had talked about how there are books that talk about data analytics and there are books that talk about the future of work, but there wasn't a book that really combined the two interests, the two streams. We talked a lot um, in the early days about signals, about the signals that organizations give and how HR people are sort of deaf to those signals because they have no um, way to transform or translate those signals into actions. Um, and even if they did, if they're deaf to the signals, they're probably not aware of the future trends and how to apply those signals to anticipate the future of work and support their organizations in the service of sustainable enterprise performance. And that's the other thing that we we had in common that um, as Dave Ulrich would say, we don't do HR for the sake of HR. We do HR for the in the service of the organization and the customers of the organization. So that's how I think that that was the germ of yeah. uh, or the genesis of the book. Stella, do you have? Anything? Yeah, I. And we were talking about writing for quite some time, and when we did start. So pandemic started as well. So it on one side created the space for us to, to put down our thoughts. On the flip side, it also accelerated a lot of trends that we've been talking about. Um, we have seen how uh, the the focus from just primarily primarily on shareholder value creation has shifted, how safety and some of these fundamental workplace expectations became critical in order to uh, to uh, um, get access to your employees, uh, be able to enable them to be productive and continue the operations as a business. So uh, the, the timing couldn't have been more perfect for us to write this because on one side, we see um, an acceleration of a lot of these trends and the importance of workers. We also uh, are privilege to uh, have access to much more sophisticated technology and more uh, types of data that we can use and analyze to detect some of those signals and then make informed decisions. Let me just add, um, timing is everything. So Stella was saying the timing was right about the writing of the book, but the timing is right for exogenous bear, the market, right? And we're seeing a lot more pressure from different stakeholders for transparency around the impact of human capital management and human capital performance on enterprise level outcomes. So we're seeing investors asking for more transparency about um, workforce trends and workforce uh, sustainability. We're seeing customers demanding more information about workforce conditions and LGBTQ and diversity as part of their purchase intent. 
And I think that's huge when you have a customer saying, I want to know what's going on in your organization about HR before I'll buy your product. That's huge pressure on CEOs and boards and executive management teams to not only understand what's going on, but to create the right story, the right narrative about human capital performance. And of course, we have employees, right? We have the millennials and the Gen Zs seeking their voice, I guess, exerting their voice, seeking agency. And I love to say, um, I'm from Missouri, right? The show me state. Don't tell me what you're going to do for me. Show me what you've done for others that look like me coming into your organization. So I think employees um, are really getting a lot more sophisticated about um, how they make decisions to join a company and stay with a company related to how companies treat them as capital, as something to invest in. Yeah, very well said. I know one of the things you talk about uh, are what you call the four Ds. Uh, and I want to explore that a little bit. So how the demographic digitization, the datification, and the disintermediation are disrupting how, where, and when, and the why of how we work. Um, let's pull that apart a little bit. Tell, tell us a little bit more about how you approach that in your book and why you think this is really important for leaders and for organizations to be thinking about these 40s. These are some of those bigger, longer term, uh, slower trends. And many times as organizations, we think they may not impact us or it may not impact our organization in the short term. Therefore, we shouldn't pay attention. But when we are looking at how during the pandemic, um, we saw distinct um demographic changes or demographic segments that made different decisions. Uh, we had a lot more people who are uh, uh, kind of senior workers who decided to leave the workplace earlier because they wanted more safe conditions or they were trying to find jobs and due to ageism, they couldn't and they gave up looking. We saw a lot more women exiting the labor force because they couldn't cope with the responsibilities of home caring, homeschooling, and, and work uh, and, and balancing the two. We saw a lot more people in uh, underserved, underprivileged, undertapped communities uh, disproportionately represented in essential workers who also then got laid off or furloughed. So we saw a lot of people moving away from metropolitan areas to uh, further out into the second tier cities just because they wanted better quality of life, uh, better um, proximity maybe to their families. And a lot of these movements and tendencies of different segments of our population are important because it impacts our ability to find this talent, to attract them, to engage. They may need different types of offerings uh, from the organization, different type of support. So the more we can consider the needs and understand better what it's like to be a worker representing certain demographic segments, the more likely we'll be able to create more inclusive uh, practices. The digitization. Wait, wait. wait. Wait, let me add something on the uh, demographics. So one of the key uh, philosophies of our book 
is that human capital or business models have to evolve. Mm -hmm. They have been evolving. So, you know, we started with a production um, business model where the bottleneck was how well and how fast we can make products. And then we moved to a technology centric business model that actually employed and deployed technology to enhance the way we made decisions about how we run our businesses. Uh, and we're, I believe we're currently in a customer centric business model where most organizations focus on the consumer and what they need to deliver to that consumer to organize the way they get work done. Um, and Stella and I posit that we're actually in a transition um, moving towards a, a more human capital centric business model where organizations realize that the bottleneck is people and talent um, and that their businesses depend on how well people and talent are managed for sustainable business outcomes. Along with that employee-centric business model needs to be a shift in the way we think about people. So we, you know, the pr production and the technology and the customer business models really relied on standardization. And that standardization was reflected in the way that we treat people. We had one set of policies that everybody had to abide by and one set of compensation um, approaches or reward approaches or one set of talent management approaches. And what we're proposing is that with a human capital centric business model, the days of standardization have to go by the wayside. And we need to adopt a more personalized approach to the employee and addressing their needs. And that's why understanding your demographic becomes so important because we've got five generations in the workplace and those five generations don't have the same values, the same needs, the same um, desires, the same, um, you know, interests in terms of the social contract between themselves and their organization. And the better we understand those different demographics, the better we'll be able to design programs that actually meet the needs of the demographic um, groups you have represented and generate higher levels of engagement, longer levels of tenure, lower levels of attrition, more um, inclusion in the workplace because people can bring, bring their true and authentic self to the workplace because they feel like they're being heard. So we have employee voice and agency also represented there. So understanding the demographics is really important, not only inside of your organization, but also understanding that the workforce is shrinking. There are just fewer laborers there. The baby boomers are retiring and the millennials and the Gen Zs are going to comprise 75% of the workforce by 2025. Are you ready? Do you understand those two generations and what they need? And the generation that's coming after that, the alphas, right? So, sorry, I just wanted to augment that. So digitization. No, <laughs> digitization is really adoption of technology and on one side, it enables us to interact differently, in, enables us to create new business models. It enables us to interact with organizations and brands in a very different way and create value um, uh, for, for ourselves, for the society. And um, uh, the, the beautiful part of, uh, and the, the 
kind of the negative side effect of it comes from the massive amount of data that gets generated. So on one side, we can analyze and understand patterns and detect some of those signals and be able to influence um, behavior in hopefully positive way, but obviously it comes with significant amount of responsibility because when it's misused or when skewed or biased data is being used to train algorithms that then normalize um, discrimination or normalize um, societal ills that we're currently uh, trying to eradicate, all of that requires a very different human intervention and mindset in adopting and using as well as in decision-making. So that's where we, um, we foresee HR playing a significant role as more and more of these technologies get adopted, as more and more um, the analytics practices of uh, people management get matured and increasingly use data to really not forget that there is a human uh, represented in that number, that there is a career, there is an aspiration, a future. So quantifying makes sense uh, because it allows you to speak the language of the business and bring facts to the table. At the same time, it brings a very different degree of responsibility um, when using it. Um, and then the last disintermediation is really around the value chain that gets disrupted by technology first organizations that are moving into adjacent spaces to uh, disrupt the, the, the value chain. Um, so think of Amazon, right? The perfect example where uh, they started in the book retail business that moved into all sorts of other products, into cloud technology, into electronics, into content production, Oscars, going to space. There's not one single industry or sector that hasn't been affected or touched uh, by this technology first company that now yeah. has created its own uh, set of intermediaries and but disrupting the traditional traditional incumbents. I like that when Stella says um, organizations that are adopting the four Ds um, tend to scare the employee population. Um, and um, the fear is, oh, my job is going to be replaced with a robot. So the first thing that Stella says, if you'll allow me to quote you, is <laughs> we still need humans to run those robots. Yeah. So even if your job is being replaced, it being automated, we still need humans to do work. And what I say is when we are replacing the repetitive, rote, low value aspects of jobs with technology, with machine learning, with robotics, with, um, you know, digitization like um, chatbots as customer service, um, you actually cr create the space, create the opportunity to, to um, design more cognitive laden, more interesting work for humans to do. And because there, we understand that we have to retool, we have to retrain um, organizations also, because the research shows that the more you invest in training and development, the better your company does. Organizations are more inclined now to provide training and development to reskill and retool and upskill to strengthen their organization's bench strength. So don't be afraid of these trends. These trends are actually helping humans. That's why we call it humanizing human capital. 
Um, and, you know, as we um, sort of address the naysayers that say, well, the four Ds dehumanize the whole process. <laughs> it's actually the opposite. So here's my, you know, Star Trek geekiness. Dr. Spock would say, um, or it's not, it wasn't a doctor, sorry. Spock would say, um, uh, the wrong Spock. Spock would say, um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And these four Ds help you actually understand the needs of the many and not just hear the squeaky wheel that make organizations take action that actually hurt more people than they help. Yeah, well said. And I think as you're describing those four Ds, of course, clear implications for the shifting nature of work and defining the future of work. Um, unfortunately, we don't have time to get into all of that today, but I did want to hit on before we wrap things up with this conversation around uh, evolving the employment value proposition with our people as the nature of work shifts. And as you just described, you know, each wave of the industrial revolution and people talk about how we're in industry 4.0 um, automation has always been a part of that. And every time there's been some new form of automation. Now we're just talking about advanced robots, AI, deep machine learning, but there's always been some form of automation. And every time that takes away the repetitive rote tasks, the things that most people don't like to do anyways, and it creates a whole new slate of opportunities that didn't exist previously. So there's always going to be humans doing important work. I just think we're going to be doing more meaningful, more important work um, because we can automate the rest of it, you know, that pe most people don't want to do anyways. Um, all of this shifts though, uh, that employment value proposition. And there's this, this shifting psychological contract, the, sh the changing social contract between workers and employers. Let's talk about that a just a little bit in our remaining few minutes together. Can I just compliment the fact that you use the word workers as opposed to employees? Number one, we have significantly broader set of options when it comes to the talent pools we can we can utilize to perform the work. And increasingly, we tend to focus on employees as the primary group. When in fact, we have contractors, we have freelancers, we have teams, we have partnerships, we have all sorts of relationships with individuals who are helping us or partnering with us to perform the work. And we need to think of them holistically. And when it comes to value proposition, they all come to work for different reasons, right? They, some, well, I hope most of them want to work for a company that uh, provides safe working conditions, that provides fair remuneration. But uh, the more you think about that pyramid the, the, of, of needs, the more complex it gets. Some people want to learn a new skill. Some people want to be affiliated with an organization that is going to amplify their personal brand. Some people want to have access to perks and uh, well-being um, benefits. Some people want to have pride for the company's products and, and brand in the marketplace. Some people want to leave a legacy. So the more we can understand and use the data to understand the preferences and needs, because those will differ depending on the life stage, depending on their circumstances at home, um, health conditions, cognitive abilities, all of those things are now 
becoming easier to quantify. And we can then start adapting and personalizing the offerings to different segments and what they expect. Yes, this may be a little bit more complex from a chat perspective, but again, analytics and data and technology can provide that type of personalization. Or at the minimum, as an organization, we need to think, what is it that we want to be known for as a company? And how can we build those uh, propositions into the decisions that we're making about the workforce? Because that will then attract the talent that is uh, compelled or attracted by that. Um, yeah, and Jonathan, John, you were talking about, you know, back through the Industrial Revolution, how techno technological advances have actually been the root cause of transformation and change. The one big difference going back to the 1700s, you know, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution to today, is that we always had a growing labor force. The world population was growing. Our, the world population is slowing down to the point where it's approaching zero growth and will go negative in the next 10 years or so, right, Stella? And that puts a different kind of pressure on organizations because the one input into the business model, which is labor, is becoming more and more scarce. And that's why we think human capital-centric business models is the future trend because of that labor scarcity. So it's it's interesting to think of these sort of environmental differences, and I don't mean environment like green, I mean, you know, work conditions, business conditions. Um, and, you know, John, you brought up a point about calling them workers, which Stella sort of supported. Um, it's not just doing good business where we think about our input into the model that um, represents labor, the investors are looking at that. So the SEC is asking for transparency about the different types of laborers or workers you have in your organization, because it does um, correlate to an organization's sustainability, right? As I said before, 80%, or maybe I didn't say it yet, 80% of the US GDP is service oriented. We need people to deliver services. And if your organization can't manage the talent, can't source the talent, can't retain the talent, you lose your competitive advantage. And that's yeah. why it's so central to a business model. And finally, the business model is catching up to what CEOs have been saying for the last 20 years. People are our greatest asset. Well, now it's time to prove that that philosophy is actually alive and well in your organizations. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Stella and Solange, it's been a real pleasure. I note the time. It's just flown by. Uh, we could go on and on and on all day, I think, but I do need to let you go. So before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your teams, where they can find your book, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. So you can find us on LinkedIn, Stella Lupushor and Solange Charas. You can find more details about the book and where to purchase it on humanizinghumancapital.com. So that's the name of the book, uh, the, the name of the website as well. And if there is one word uh, of kind of closure, we think a lot of transformation and change has to happen at bigger scale, at societal scale, but many times, the way humanizing is experienced is 
one person at a time is how you choose to react, how you choose to make a decision, how you choose to uh, have empathy for your colleague or your uh, direct report. So always uh, we, we, we always are presented those opportunities to bring that humanity back into the work environment. So uh, I would encourage everyone to take advantage of those moments when they occur. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm all for a human-centric workplace. Uh, I think you've shared so many great insights here, and there's many more to be unpacked uh, from your book. I encourage my audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Stella and Solange can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.